You're listening to the Food Freedom Podcast, hosted by me, Dylan Murphy, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. Food Freedom Podcast explores the topics of intuitive eating, mindset, and body respect to help you create a lifestyle of lasting food freedom. We believe it's possible to feel confident in your food choices and connected to your body. And here on the Food Freedom Podcast, we will show you how. I'm the owner of Free Method Nutrition, a nutrition coaching practice empowering women to break up with diet culture by teaching them how to trust, respect, and feel safe in their bodies. We welcome all foods over here from kale salads to queso and everything in between. Let's dive in. This episode of Food Freedom Podcast is sponsored by our Free Method Recipe Book. It's time that you have a way to create flavor-packed meals that you enjoy that also align with your goal of food freedom. This recipe book is designed to support your intuitive eating journey so you can gain confidence in the kitchen. Complete with recipes that emphasize gentle nutrition, you'll find delicious and simple recipes that allow you to win back your time. Head to freemethodnutrition.com slash recipe book to get yours today. Welcome back to another episode of Food Freedom Podcast. Today, I am sitting down with Laura Kadari and very much looking forward to this conversation. So Laura is a writer, a reader. She's also an avid home cook, and she's the author of Lifting Heavy Things. Laura, welcome to today's episode. Hey, thanks for having me. Yes. So I would love if you took a minute just to introduce yourself to our audience, kind of who you are, a little bit about you. Yeah. Do you want to take a minute to do that? Sure. I am the author of a book called Lifting Heavy Things, a Healing Trauma One Rep at a Time. And it actually grows out of my own work, which grows out of my own life. So I am a trauma-informed certified personal trainer. I'm a corrective exercise specialist as well as a writer. And what I do is teach people how to take exercise. And for me, with my clients directly, specifically strength training, but in my book, I really talk about any form of movement and turn it into more of a healing practice and something that you can use to support yourself in really taking care of yourself and having a more holistic approach to wellness and learning how to really communicate with your body and understand your body while you're taking care of your health. I love that. And what, so for you did like, were you a personal trainer and then kind of morphed into like, I want to use this for trauma work too, or was it the opposite or yeah. How did, how did that come to be? Very much opposite. (laughs) So (laughs) when, I mean, I was like, I was the kid who cut gym class. I am like the least expected personal trainer out there, you know, because I actually didn't start any working out until I was 27, you know, except Mm -hmm. for like gym class or Mm -hmm. the occasional, like I'll try the gym and like run on the cardio equipment and hate it. And I have some chronic back pain and I was prescribed physical therapy for when my back went out when I was 20. I wound up seeing a doctor. It was pretty bad. It kept me incapacitated for a couple of weeks. And he said, 
physical therapy and strength training. And I was like, okay. And so I did physical therapy and I didn't do the strength training Mm -hmm. and I just had pain for seven years Mm -hmm. and it finally wore me down. So I started training then. Then it was like this crazy long journey, becoming somebody who loved the experience of being in my body and Mm -hmm. strength training and being in the gym. And I began to really really struggling with being in my body, being seen in my body, being in the gym. I felt most empowered in my body, using my body in the gym. And so that's where the love affair was. And it still wasn't a while until I became a trainer. That really happened as a way to help people process trauma. It sort of became a vehicle for different trauma healing modalities. Yeah, I love that. And we were talking a bit before we hit record about even just how I feel like movement exercise for so many people can be viewed very rigidly or very much as like, this is punishment or, you know, this is just, I have to do this workout today. And I think oftentimes with that mindset, we miss out on a lot of the benefits of movement and of exercise and like really being in our body and celebrating our body and healing, you know, both physically and healing from trauma and everything in between. So I love that approach that you take on movement because I feel like that's very neat in the fitness space, (laughs) just from what I hear with clients and some of their not so great interactions with personal trainers. I feel like what you do is very needed. Yeah. I mean, and that is actually the big thing was I, when I started doing this work, I was like, we, I was actually trying to get other people to do this for myself. (laughs) It was like, I really need a trauma-informed coach because at Mm. some point I experienced a trauma, was dealing with PTSD and Mm. was really struggling to get back in the gym. And I felt like no one in the fitness industry was going to listen to me. And I was talking about how I wasn't feeling safe, how I was feeling objectified, all sorts of, all the sort of factors of fitness that I already didn't feel comfortable with were now magnified. No one was listening to me that this is different. This is a different experience. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do the work. I'm going to become the trainer I wish I had. And hopefully if I bang on my pots and pans loud enough Mm -hmm. from the inside, some things in this culture will change. And you know, it was the right time. The tide was with me. We are finally seeing a nice shift. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. So then on the topic of trauma, like how do you see maybe in clients you've worked with in your own journey, how do you see trauma showing up in people's life and maybe specifically like impacting their body and their relationship with their body? Yeah. So that's a, that's a big question. Yes. There are a couple of different ways. <laughs> I say that, yeah, like that, <laughs> we could probably take hours and hours to answer that question. We'll start like at the very like top, like mm-hmm. these are the textbook ways trauma may impact, you know, we know about trauma impacting our psychology, our emotions, and we know about physical trauma, obviously giving having yeah. a physical impact, but emotional trauma can lead to things like chronic fatigue syndrome, irritable bowel syndrome. It can also lead to just like chronic pain and headaches along with dissociation from Mm. the body, really not being able to be in the body and depersonalization or dissociation even from part of the body, which is kind of interesting. And it can also, you know, there's a lot of talk about posture, good posture, bad posture. Our posture is generally actually should be dynamic and shift based on what we're doing. But our default posture, and we might kind of get stuck either in a very extended posture or a very collapsed posture. Mm-hmm. I realize I'm moving and this is a podcast and no one can see me, but I'm moving <laughs> to demonstrate these postures. Yes. And 
these sorts of kind of getting stuck in these positions can lead to injury down the road. Same way with checking out of our body can also lead to injury because we're just not aware of our surroundings or of how we are moving. And if you are somebody who is very active and dealing with trauma and you're checked out of your body, you are at a greater risk of not listening to your body's signals because you can't even hear them of injury and pain. So another Mm. injury risk. It also just shifts your overall capacity for a workout. And this is something I think a lot of people don't recognize. You know, if you have, maybe you've been, you love, I don't know, some sort of class, like a bar class or a hit mm-hmm. class. Like you go to these things regularly or you play tennis, whatever you do, something happens in your life. It might even just be like really stressful, not a trauma. This is an added stress on your life. This is an added stress on your general existence. And then you go to do your movement and whatever it is, and you can't do it as much as you could before. And you start to think like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? What's happening? A fear can set in. I know that was a big thing for me was this fear of losing my sport, losing something that I really valued. And it's not, you're not losing it. It's that we have reduced, there's like only so much, each person only has so much capacity for arousal. And if you're dealing with chronic stress or you're dealing with trauma, your overall capacity may shrink. But what is absolutely happening is some of your capacity is being used up to manage the stress of that trauma or that chronic Mm -hmm. stress. You just have less in the tank for the workout because workout or movement or exercise, it's a form of stress. We don't think of it that way because it's like, and when done in the right amount, it is good for you. Stress is not really bad or good. It's sort of the whole, how much is the stress? What is the source of the stress? Mm -hmm. Um, What are you doing with that stress? And, you know, you may just have less capacity for a little while. And that can be really scary for some folks. So that's another way it shows up. Yeah, yeah. How do you then see like, so I guess in clients, because do you work with people one-on-one or how do you work with people? It's been shifting recently. I still work one-on-one. I work remotely and I am not with them as they train now. We're doing sort of a asynchronous work with check-ins and video and a lot of stuff like that. But I definitely was working in the gym with clients and now I'm more teaching people how to sort of do this work and then check in with me. But it shows, you wanted to know how it shows up with clients was that? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, like how you see it with clients. Sure. It can be really varies. So like I said, one thing might be not being able to stay in the body. And so that might look like, you know, if somebody's really occasionally I'll have somebody who works with me, who's actually pretty athletic. And so they still actually quote unquote move well, like you can, they can mimic a movement without being in their body, but you can sort of see their gaze is off or conversation. There's a lot of preoccupation with what other people are doing, thinking, seeing in the gym. And so in that case, even if there's, you know, they're moving well, we really want them to come in and like have an experience of listening to the body. Because even if you're a good mover, if you can come into your body, you're going to move even better. But yeah. really, you're going to be in discussion with your body. You're going to learn what it's telling you, how it's feeling today. So, so it might be that somebody is really checking out. And even if they're moving well, you can sort of tell. There may be an inability to connect with a certain part of the body, like I mentioned before. So that's going to show up in how they move. And so we work really carefully with that, right? Like we don't just like 
if somebody can't connect with their left upper back, for example, I'm not going to do a million activation exercises one after another, after another, Mm -hmm. we're going to make a note that it's really hard to connect. And we're going to start to connect with other parts around it and slowly come in and out, paying attention to that shoulder rather than like kind of beating it into turning on is how a lot of people talk about it. We're going to go slow. We're going to honor. I'm going to make note. And if I am working with somebody who now I really like my clients to also be in some sort of therapy, it's information for them to bring into their counseling. And if you do any sort of body-based trauma processing, that's an area to look at. There's also hyperarousal where you're looking around the gym. It's hard to calm down. It's hard to come down in between sets. And we may do some sort of crossing the midline or balance work to try and bring that nervous system. So that's like a moving towards a fight flight state when you're hyper aroused like that. So Mm -hmm. we'll do some really simple things generally that very moderate doable challenge. So not like Mm -hmm. something super hard that you may or may not get, but actually something that requires a little bit of focus, but you will have success at with balance and moving across your body that will help bring somebody back down into a more parasympathetic state. So the the rest Mm -hmm. and digest. We were like, what rest in the gym? It's like, no, no. In the gym, you want to go up and you want to come down and you want to go up and like a lot of people kind of know this from interval training, right? Mm, yeah. Kind of doing the same thing with our nervous system. Very like the goal is now thinking about the nervous system, which you're actually doing our interval training as well, but really paying attention to like, okay, this is a place where you're doing a lot of work, but not too much work. Okay. Now we're going to come back down. All right, now we're going to go back up and we're going to come back down. And this sort of helps a person not only come back down into Mm -hmm. that nice state, but actually practices being able to come up, tolerate that up, and then also have the resiliency to come back down. Yeah. Right. So those are a couple of things that might show up in the gym. And it's so interesting because even in everything you're explaining, and I know we talked about how fitness industry exercise movement has been making some like good, much needed shifts, but I feel like historically a lot of movement and the way like instructors, personal trainers talk is very like unaware of everything you just said. It's like, push yourself harder. Like you can do it. Lift the weights, like don't stop. And which I would assume is kind of like disconnecting you more from your body because it's like, okay, this person's telling me like, I need to keep, you know, lifting this harder weight or keep running, even though I can tell like, I'm not feeling this or this isn't connecting well. So yeah, it seems like a lot of the work that you and people who practice the same way as you do is like very opposite of what people may have experienced in the past with exercise. Right. You know, I think that has a lot to do. There's a couple of things. I mean, overall, it is actually better for your health, right? Yeah. (laughs) To (laughs) pace yourself and treat it. You know, if you want to go with the fitness metaphor, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? (laughs) Most, (laughs) one of the things I see a lot, especially coming out of, so for me, I was doing powerlifting and Mm -hmm. coaching that. And I was also doing Olympic weightlifting Mm -hmm. and I was doing karate. This was when I was doing too much all at once, but I (laughs) I love these things. I love them all one at a time, maybe. It's training for sport, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, athletes train for sport. You as a person with a nine to five job who also does something on the weekends can train for a sport. But when you're training for a sport, you know, there's an ebb and flow to it. It's not, there's a season and an off season, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
lot of people do is they train like they're training for a sport on top of like having a job, having a partner, mm. having kids, and also not ever having an off season. They're yeah. always training like they're training like an elite athlete who's never stops. And elite implies a few. Yeah. Most of us are not elite athletes, yeah. I, <laughs> right? And so most people are training for, you know, everybody may have their specific goals, but at the end of the day is some form of wanting to feel better. That's a whole separate mm-hmm. discussion as to what mm-hmm. that takes to shape yeah. up. <laughs> but like if you're, we're talking about quality of life. So mm-hmm. that means making it something you can sustain, making it something so that you are, It's one thing to feel some muscle soreness the next day. It's another to have to fall down onto the toilet because you can't Mm, hold your muscles (laughs) or, or for some people, like if you don't like the way it feels to feel sore, you don't have to feel sore Mm. and right. It's not improving your quality of life to feel that soreness. That's not Mm. something that works for you. Right. Mm -hmm. So making your movement work for you, that's the point, Mm. right? Like it's to be functional, it's to be sustainable and it's to improve your overall sense of well-being. So that means all of it. It means getting a good night's sleep. It means feeling good when you're not in the gym, all sorts of things besides what's happening in that, you know, Mm. 30 minutes to 75 minutes that you are doing doing your thing. And I see with a lot of people I work with, like, I think we're given these like I don't even like this idea around exercise that it, a way that it should look of like, okay, well I should do like cardio or it should be this amount of time. And so a lot of people are doing exercise and moving their bodies in ways they don't even enjoy. It's like, okay, well I hate running, but I feel like I should. And I feel like I should work out for this length of time. And so I feel like a lot of what you're talking about too, and like really coming into your body is the awareness of like, how do I even enjoy moving my body? Like what is like fun for me? What is challenging for me in like a good way? And I see that a lot with clients being very freeing of like, oh, so I don't have to run if I hate running or like, I don't have to, like you said, feel like so sore the day after a workout just for it to be like a quote unquote good workout. Like it can take on many different shapes and forms for different people. Absolutely. And it can shift. Like that's another thing. So I have this big, long history of like strength training and I will always strength train to support. Well, I shouldn't say always. I predict that I always (laughs) strength train to support my overall back health and joint health Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. I like it. It's very grounding, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it's shifts if I'm doing something else. So I, you know, recognized in myself as it was starting to warm up. Often this happens when it starts to warm up. I want to move more. Like if you do the kind of lifting I do, you tend to stay with your feet very planted. You do a few reps and then you rest. (laughs) This is very different, you know, and you're moving in this very limited range of motion, right? You're not Mm -hmm. like moving forward. You're not moving backwards. You're not twisting. You're like basically going up and down a lot in power lifting and weight lifting, right? I was like, I, I was like, do I want to run? I know I he mentioned the running, like, no, yeah. that's really boring to me. I don't want to run, but I want to run around. Mm-hmm. I realized that. And here I am in my mid forties. I'm dressed like very casually right now because after this, I'm off to my fourth tennis lesson. I realized yeah. I was like, well, okay, I want to run. And this is something I encourage people to do, which is like, think about 
see if you can tell like what you are even curious about. Like, I'm not good at tennis. Like, first of all, how would I be good? I've never done it before, but I'm not even yeah. like showing some sort of promise. I'm like fine at it. Like uh, it's fine. I'm learning. And that's the whole mm-hmm. point. Like I'm practicing. And that's something I yes. talk a lot about. We practice be so as to get better at something. We don't practice mm-hmm. so that we don't practice because we're already perfect. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're practicing to get better. And so, you know, it's like, I'm curious about this. And so I'm liking it. And I have no idea how this is going to fit in my life. I don't have anybody in my life who plays tennis. So <laughs> after these few lessons, like, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I was ready for a change in my mm. training. So my strength training looks really different now. It's to support me doing some tennis. It's a little less because I'm doing a little more with tennis. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the summer, that may shift again. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Because again, yeah. what am I training for? For. I'm training for quality of life and to get moving and to enjoy being in my body. Yes. I love that example because I think it shows too, you recognize like this void you were feeling in your exercise of like, okay, I want something a little bit more, something a little bit different, but I know I don't enjoy running, so I'm not going to run, but I want to like move around. So let me take tennis lessons. And I think with that too, and the idea of like, you know, starting something new, especially, and I see this with a lot of my clients who either were college athletes or just are naturally like very athletic, like trying something new can be hard because it's like, okay, well, I'm used to being the best at this sport, the best skill. And now I'm trying tennis that I've never played in my whole life. So who knows how I'm going to be. But I think that brings in a part of movement too, where it's like, okay, it's supposed to be like fun and enjoyable. And maybe it brings up some like laughter while you're playing of like, you know, learning a new sport. Like it just helps to expand what movement is for people. And it's not just like, okay, I'm checking this off my list, getting, you know, burning these calories, doing these movements. Yeah. I love that example. Yeah. And you know, for people who didn't have a sport or for Mm -hmm. people who are like, yeah, I guess I'd be open to doing some movement, but yeah, I don't know where to start. You know, that's, Mm. that's the other end of the spectrum where where you're back to it being hard. You know, I encourage people to think about what they liked to do as a kid or what they like now. And sometimes you kind of have to really make some connections. Like if you really like a particular type of music, there may be a movement that uses that kind of music. Or Mm. if as a kid, you know, you liked ballet or you wanted to try ballet, but couldn't for whatever reason, maybe you want to try a bar class. And like, then you sew up, you start doing these things. And if you're like, nope, that wasn't for me. Okay. Mm. Stay curious and think of what's yeah. next. And also it could be walking. It can be putting on music and dancing around your house. Like <laughs> it can be all yeah. sorts of things. Like you were saying, it doesn't have to be like I run or I go to hit class or go to bar class or whatever, yes. you know, for many people bringing in, having the resources, time, money, whatever it is to bring in a whole other thing is really mm-hmm. hard. So maybe it's something yeah. you're already doing where if you shift your intention around it, you know, you're walking to work, you're biking to work, or mm-hmm. you take the stairs, you know, you live in a city. This is something I deal with a lot. You live in a city, you have to carry your groceries. You know, I train people to help them be better able to carry their groceries home. Like I like the Trader Joe's in this neighborhood and I take the subway like that is a workout. So let's, Mm -hmm. you know, shift how we're thinking about it Mm -hmm. and how we're approaching it. Be more aware of how we're moving when we're carrying home our groceries from Trader Joe's in this neighborhood to my your neighborhood. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Yes. 
So I would love to to talk for a minute and just hear a little more about, and I'm sure a lot of these topics we just talked through are present in your book as well, but I just would love to even give you a minute to speak a little bit to your book and maybe even for people listening who haven't read your book, what maybe your goal with it, like a big takeaway that someone may get from it, or even like your favorite part of the book, which I'm sure is hard to even choose. But yeah, just to hear a little more about lifting heavy things. Sure. So the book kind of just showed up to me, like I have to write this book. And it really does it's intended to help somebody either who already has a movement practice or who doesn't learn how to take like this exercise that they either want to be doing, feel they should be doing, that's a separate conversation or Mm -hmm. are doing and really turn it into something that helps them deepen their relationship with themselves. And Mm -hmm. also ultimately how that sort of spills out into your other relationships and moving about the world. And it was originally, it was originally like, I'm going to write a textbook. But the fact of the matter is, is I have been secretly writing personal essays for over a decade and everything I kept writing was this sort of memoir. So the book wound up combining research, practical exercises and memoir. And I really wanted it to be trauma-informed as well. We mentioned a little bit that I I have a trauma background in the somatic experiencing program, which Mm -hmm. is a three-year program. I've taken a number of other workshops and courses and have, you know, gone deep on the study of trauma. And One of the things I have found with a lot of these books that talk about this hard stuff like Mm -hmm. trauma is that they're not particularly, the books themselves are really triggering. And I wanted something that was actually going to be read where the author was being thoughtful to that. Mm -hmm. And so I try to make it, you know, an enjoyable read and also a read that encourages my readers to read at their own pace, read how they Mm -hmm. want to read and check in with themselves. And a big, big part of it, as I'm sort of talking, I'm thinking like, what takeaway? I think today, what I'd say is that I actually wrote this whole book and I do all of my work without Mm -hmm. actually sharing my own personal trauma story. Mm -hmm. I don't share my narrative. That's not how Mm -hmm. I work with trauma. I work with trauma as what's showing up in the body. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that if you yourself are living with trauma, you shouldn't tell anybody. We know that confiding in one person and being met with empathy is really important to healing. Mm -hmm. But you don't need to tell everybody. And one of the things I've started doing is I don't very intentionally share my story publicly to show Mm. how you can ask for help and be of service without sharing if you don't feel comfortable. Mm. So I think what I'd like to share with people who are listening and they're like, she's talked a little bit about trauma is that you can explore and be curious without sharing more than you're comfortable sharing. I think that's so, so good and so important because I think you know, in the world we live in these days with social media and, and it feeling like everyone has a platform, everyone needs to share their story, you need to know everything about everyone. Like, I think that can be a good reminder of like, you actually don't have to disclose a lot of your story. And, and sometimes too, and you mentioned this a bit, like sometimes sharing your story can be triggering to other people. And, you know, thinking through like in writing a book, like, how can I make this something that is accessible for more and more people and, you know, as minimal triggers as possible. But I think that's a very 
helpful reminder because there's a lot of people in this world who deal with, you know, all sorts of things, trauma and mental health and eating disorders and so many different things under the sun and knowing like you don't have to share it with, you know, millions of people and still find healing. I think that's so good. I love that you said that. Yeah. So, so the way I love to wrap up episodes is to ask our guests what, what your favorite food memory is, because we, uh, in the work that I do with a lot of my clients, we see food and even kind of like we talked about with exercise, like just being so taken out of context and it can become very rigid and, and the enjoyment and pleasure can be so taken out of food. And so I love hearing from people just what is a memory you have with food, whether it's recent or from growing up that stands out to you. My whole face lit up when you asked that because so yeah. I said, I, I've been writing personal essays for over a decade. Uh-huh. They're almost all about food memories. I um, love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, and that it may, I, you know, I am working on very specifically a few different things on food and memory relationship mm. and nostalgia. And mm. so I love to cook and I love to eat mm. and, but tomatoes, mm. you know, I do. I have a, a lot of my memories are about delicious baked goods, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think my most sort of visceral, and maybe it's just because this is actually what I'm working on right now. I have a lot of memories around tomatoes, but I think I very clearly remember I must have been three or four. I grew up in the suburbs of New York City when mm-hmm. I, moved, I moved to the city as a teenager, but when I was little, I was in the suburbs. And my grandmother, Lily, who passed away when I was about seven, she kept a garden on the side of her house in New Jersey. And all my memories around her, there are very few of them, they all revolve around food. <laughs> and, yes. um, but this tomato thing, I remember going outside and I was dressed in like fall clothes. So this must have been the end of the season for tomatoes. And my mom loved tomatoes. She ate them all the time. Like I knew them as the bread vegetable in the house that you got from the supermarket. Mm -hmm. My grandmother had them growing on the side of her house. And like, I don't come from a growing things house family. So that was mind blowing. And she told me, (laughs) she told me to pluck one and I plucked one and I ate it off the vine. And that Mm -hmm. memory, like that smell and everything is so visceral. It really Mm -hmm. connects me to my grandmother. Mm, I love that so much. And yeah, there's, I feel like nothing compares to like a fresh tomato. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Laura, where can people find you if they want to just learn more about you? If they want to get your book, where is the best way for people to find you? Sure. You can get my book wherever you like to get your books. And if you want some suggestions as to where that might be and some links, you can go to my website, lauracadari.com. And that's also where you can learn about my services. You can actually start to read the book for free. I have about the first 30 pages or so available that way. So, you know, that and on Instagram, I'm Laura Kadari. On Twitter, Laura Kadari. And on Facebook, not at all anything like that. It's Laura K CPT. I'm way less active on Facebook, but (laughs) yes, those are all the places you can find me. Uh, Awesome. And we'll make sure all that's linked in the show notes too, so people can just click on over. Great. Well, yeah. Thank you so much again for taking time for this interview. Yeah, it was a pleasure. 
Thank you so much for listening to our show. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Food Freedom Podcast. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Free Method Nutrition for more inspiring content on food freedom, intuitive eating, body respect, and many other things. If you're curious how you can support our podcast and help it to reach more people like you, we would love if you would take a minute to rate and review the show. We drop new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe so you always catch our latest conversations. See you next episode. Are you ready to master your mindset and take your health habits to the next level? We created our free method shop with those goals in mind. In our shop, you'll find our Freedom Journal and Elevate Affirmation Cards. Our Freedom Journal is a mindset and gratitude journal that will be the perfect addition to your health and wellness journey. Complete with journal prompts and reflection questions, this journal will help you turn your goals into lasting habits. Each journal page is broken into five sections, affirmations, gratitudes, what you're learning, what you need to let go of, and what you need to hold on to. The perfect addition to our Freedom Journal are our Elevate Affirmation Cards. These affirmation cards come with 31 mantras, prompts, and encouragements to elevate your relationship with food and body. Head to freemethodnutrition.com store to order yours today.